Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Crisis Management. I'm Alicia Sikirska, and this is a show dedicated to helping businesses navigate their way through the coronavirus pandemic. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about Air Canada's revamped loyalty program, why Amazon is considering potentially moving into shopping malls, and we're also going to dig into debt and what small business owners should be thinking about when, in terms of financing during this time of great uncertainty. Now, to get through all those topics, I am joined by Mark Satov. He is the founder of Satov Consultants and a business strategy expert, and he's here to help us with ideas and solutions for businesses that are dealing with the pandemic. Mark, welcome back to the show. I know I was off for a few days, but it's good to be back. There's lots of interesting stuff to talk about. It's great to have you back and lots of interesting stuff that uh, is among my favorite topics. So I love talking airlines and loyalty programs. So looking forward to it. Okay, well, let's start right there. Um, As you mentioned, there's some big news today. Air Canada announced that it is changing up its loyalty program. The airline announced today that it's going to relaunch Aeroplan in November. The new program is going to eliminate cash surcharges on all rewards. So when you redeem your points, you're not going to have to pay a fuel surcharge, or you know, which was something that they were doing before. Um, It also is going to remove restrictions on seats and flights, um, eliminating those rules. Uh, And they're also going to introduce a family sharing program, allowing airplane members to share points with members of the same household. Uh, And then also current members, you don't have to panic about losing your miles. They're going to be converted over for this new program on a one-to-one basis. But Mark, what do you make of these changes? Uh, Do you think this is good news for consumers? Yes, it's good news. Uh, it's qualified good news. I mean, <sighs> Air Canada and Aeroplan, you know, my my famous, uh, my favorite expression, which I didn't make up is, you know, they're not happy until you're not happy. And I think that uh, they have a history and I say they because they were at times together and they, they've at times been separate uh, entities. Uh, they have benefited from being the only game in town. And when I say the only game in town, I know that there are other airlines who come Uh, to Canada from other countries and who fly across the country. But for a business traveler, and especially for a rewards program, they were really the only game in town that was a captive uh, program. That's not the case anymore. uh, And they have a whole lot of stuff going on. First of all, they have better competition from the banks that have uh, the cashback programs and uh, the easier uh, programs where you could earn on your credit card and then use it to buy. Uh, And of course, they have COVID and COVID means that their uh, planes are empty. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I can't exactly uh, say that I think they're really nice or doing a great thing by making their uh, program such that it is a little bit easier to redeem and a little bit uh, less, I'll say, injurious to have uh, some of the uh, some of the penalties that go along with it. Mm -hmm. Um, In some ways, you could say it's a long time coming. In some ways, you could say, all right, well, they've been rotten to us for a while because they could, and now they're going to be a little less rotten because they have no choice, right? 
Um, what do you what do you mean by that? Uh, I mean, what kind of changes do you think are you know going to be a significant improvement for customers? So uh, there there are actually a lot of them. I mean, by the way, I, I also want to make sense of a couple of them. You know, this thing about not charging you for the fuel surcharges or for the cash things that. I don't know that they're not charging you. They're not charging you in cash. I think they're letting you redeem with miles or points now, as they're calling them. And a lot of other programs have done that. But essentially, from a financial standpoint, one of the things they're doing is they're reducing their liability. So any uh, company, either third party or captive uh, loyalty program. So captive is when the, the somebody who's selling goods has their own loyalty program like this now that, that they're one company when they have a lot of points issued, that's a liability that sits on their books. And so one of the things they do when they encourage people to use their miles or points is they actually reduce the liability. And in the case where they're having no revenue because of COVID, they're able to recognize revenue. So that that just explains one of those things uh, that they're doing. But I want to talk about the family sharing one because I actually think it is significant. Um, hmm. If you have multiple people in a family who are collecting points, uh, the ability to pool points into one gets you to a specific reward closer. Because what used to happen is if it costs you, you know, so I used to like to use my points to go to Europe uh, once every year or two. And I would do a business class because it was a great deal uh, when Air Canada owned Aeroplan. It wasn't for a brief period and now it is again. But if you don't have the 75,000 uh, and you have 65,000, you either need to top up uh, so buy the 10,000 from them. And let me tell you, they were making as much on selling you those 10,000 as they were giving you in the 65,000. Uh, but now if my wife has 10,000, uh, then all of a sudden we could pool those together. And so they're losing that revenue. The other thing is they're eliminating this transfer thing where they were charging you two cents per point to transfer. And I just want, I, and by the way, to clarify, they're getting rid of it. So thank you. But I just want everybody to remember how bad it was before they got rid of it, because a point is worth about a penny. OK, so generally speaking, in loyalty programs, the reward level of benchmark is one percent, some more, some less, but it's about one percent. And when you get one point for every dollar spent, each one is therefore worth a penny. So what they used to be saying is, here's the story. You have a ten dollar gift certificate that somebody bought for you, your credit card, or whoever bought you the points. Uh, and it's in your name and uh, you want to let your spouse or uh, in this case, somebody in your family, before this happened, you want to let somebody use it. No problem. They can have access to that $10 gift certificate. I mean, I'd like to charge you $20 for that, right? I hope you don't mind. And so it's one thing to say, yes, it's really great. But it's another thing to look at and say, how bad was it before they made these changes? Yeah. And some of these it sounds like that. they're catching up to to the point where a lot of other loyalty programs, I think, potentially are, especially Definitely. these airline ones. Um, and we'll see what happens once uh, this program is introduced. And if it, you know, if people are jumping on flights or, or you know, really keen to use their awards, um, November seems still like a time when we'll be dealing with COVID. Um, but let's move on to another topic. This one's involving, as I mentioned, Amazon potentially moving into malls. Uh, according to a report from the Wall Street Journal, Amazon is in talks with Simon Property Group, which is the largest mall owner in the United States, to convert struggling department stores into fulfillment centers, essentially. Amazon and Simon apparently have discussed converting JCPenney and Sears locations into distribution centers as the e-commerce giant continues to expand its one-day prime delivery service across North America. Um, the idea of Amazon 
uh, taking over struggling department stores has been one that's been thrown out a lot over the last few years, especially as department stores struggle and try to figure out what to do with all that space. Um, but Mark, what do you think? Is this a good idea? We talked about this before. Do you think I should be singing uh, during this program or not? Yeah, just try it out. Okay. Go for it. All right. It. Well, <laughs> Desperado. Like that is the that is what comes to mind when I think about a mall owner saying that we're taking an anchor tenant and turning it into uh, essentially a warehouse or a fulfillment center. Now, that is my first thought. And then, of course, I have want to think it through a little bit more. Uh, just, uh, you know, for the viewers, a little bit of, I'll say, an explanation or context the anchor tenant, so these department stores uh, were anchor tenants in the malls. And by the way, Simon, among all the mall owners, they're the largest. Uh, I think they're the largest, if not one of the largest. Um, they're not doing as poorly as others. And I don't mean in a COVID world. I mean pre-COVID because malls have been struggling for a very long time in the U.S. Uh, ironically, partially because of Amazon. Um, and so, um, but the anchor tenant in a, in a mall provides a couple of functions. One of the functions is for other tenants. They actually draw a lot of tenants into the mall uh, and the tenants that they draw are diverse. And I don't mean diverse demographically, uh, but I mean they're diverse in terms of what they buy and how they buy because they were department stores. And so department stores mm -hmm. have a kid's section and a section for mom and a section for dad and a section for teens and sporting goods and furniture. And so they draw people into the mall who want a lot of things. And the anchor tenant plays that role for the other tenants. And this is important because other tenants, when they sign a lease at a mall, they like to know who the anchor tenant is going to be. And if I signed a lease at a mall three years ago and I happen to be doing okay and want to stay at this mall and Penny's gone or Sears is gone or Macy's is gone and a warehouse is in place, I'm not too happy, right? Because all of a sudden I've lost some of my traffic because I as a single brand uh, may not have had enough to draw people into the mall, right? But are, are those, I mean, the anchor tenants that we're talking about here, it's Sears and JCPenney, right. it's bankrupt retailers that have been struggling for for quite some time. So, I mean, is that really still a draw for people? Uh, it, it, it was a draw when they were not bankrupt. So it was a draw when, when people were coming and they weren't buying enough and they weren't making productive enough use of their space. Uh, but they were still drawing in some degree of traffic. And of course, if they're gone, they're gone. And so if I'm a tenant, I can't say, uh, you know, I want them back if there's no option for them to be back. But I can't say bring someone else back. The other role that the anchor tenant provided to the mall owner is a very low rate source of predictable revenue over a long period of time, right? Because if you think about it, Sears uh, and Penny uh, and all of them, right? Dillard's, Marshall, like they, they have like 25 year deals for a very low rent per square foot, partially because the mall owner recognized that they are a draw for the other tenants. And so that's interesting here too, because when you actually look at the price that Amazon will pay for a warehouse, you would say, well, warehouse space goes for 10 bucks a foot or less. How could it be that this makes sense in a mall? I mean, malls are, are renting out space for 40 bucks, 50 bucks, 60 bucks, 100 bucks plus in, uh, in higher end malls. But it's, when you actually compare it to what the anchor tenant was paying, it's not actually that significantly different. Hmm. And it will be less expensive to operate that space because you don't need the same type of utilities to operate. Right. The other thing to remember, uh, I'm sure you want to move on, but the other thing to remember is a warehouse is the worst thing to go in that place, especially because the warehouses are going to be automated. So it's not even as though it's a it's, it's like an office that's going in there and at least the mall could benefit from all the employees who go there every day and then could go and 
go to Taco Bell or wherever else is in the mall. There, it's you know they're going to be like seven people in a hundred thousand square feet. So, oh well, better than <laughs> right. nothing. Yes. <laughs> I, I guess so. I, I mean, that's what Simon has to be thinking at this point, right? When they look at their malls, um, we'll see what happens and next, and and uh, yeah, what Amazon decides to do. They can definitely afford it. That's for and, sure. And Even if it anyway, is a little right? bit more expensive, they're, they're looking anyway, and they they this is good for them because this is close to uh, suburbs, right? And so they all of a sudden have, mm-hmm. like, and, and they get to each suburb, and they get to say, okay, we're in the mall, which was a central point. Yeah, exactly. Um, Okay. And speaking of retailers, it's been a while since we've done a retail roundup uh, and there's been lots of news. So let's, let's jump on that. Um, I want to talk about Canada Goose to start your favorite company, Mark. Um, The luxury parka maker uh, reported earnings today, still very much dealing with the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, they reported a loss of 50 million, which is almost double what they it reported uh, last year. Revenues were down 63%. As a result, Canada Goose says it's going to increase investments in e-commerce and its direct-to-consumer business, uh, reduce production, as well as reduce the number of new store openings, focusing on new ones in mainland China, where traffic has recovered more than at least North America and Europe. This is typically a slow season for Canada Goose anyways. Um, but so, I mean, I, what do you think of this, of these earnings so far? I'm happy that you opened up by reminding me that it's my, one of my favorite companies and, and kidding aside, <laughs> and for those who haven't heard me comment on this company before, I admire them as a marketer. We are in a capitalist system and it's a free market. And if you could find a way to sell a $400 parka for $1,200, uh, then more power to you. I would never, I repeat, never wear one because everybody else does. And so I don't know how you could be original. Uh, if you're wearing the same thing as everybody else and look like a fool because you overpaid for it. But that aside, um, so I, I think what's interesting is, though, I mean, I understand why they're losing money this year. I don't know why they lost money last year. I don't remember uh, and obviously don't follow it closely enough all the time to remember. I guess it could be all the expenses from opening new stores. And again, kidding aside and criticism aside, they do a great job with marketing. They do a great job with store experience and they do a great job with store experience both in their own stores and with their partner stores, right? I always talk about Yorkdale Mall where they have this, uh, for those outside of Toronto, you know, one of the biggest malls in North America productivity wise, uh, where they have their own store, which is really uh, a place that's very much showroom. So people come in, they will buy there maybe, or they'll go to Harry Rosen. There's also a very good display and they'll go to Sporting Life, a very good display. So they really know what they're doing. Uh, I think the fact that they're not doing well is a, I'll say a symptom of COVID. And I I think that what's interesting is, you know, certain people will be hit worse. And I think they are in a pretty tough spot because I think it's hard for people to imagine buying a winter garment when they don't know yet how much they're going to be out in the winter. I think that there's still this fear, which I think is a rational fear, that we may be stuck in our house in lockdown uh, November, December, and January, the same way we were March, April, and May, or half of March, April, and May, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, again, it's not, cra- you know, it's not crazy to imagine luxury coming out quicker. Uh, we're going to talk about the fact that many people have more money, not less, during COVID because of reduced expenses. And so it doesn't bother me that they're a luxury item. It bothers me that they are a garment for winter. And if it's a supplementary garment, I think some people may just wait and see. Um, the other thing about Canada Goose that I noticed is they made a specific comment about drawing their inventory down. And we've talked about mm-hmm. apparel retailers, and I've had a question about which ones are going to 
actually introduce a new line next year. Regardless, because cash is king, uh, they need to be reducing their inventory. But the question is, are they reducing their inventory just to reduce exposure? Or are they reducing their inventory because they don't want to have any of this year's line when they want to uh, introduce next year's line and make a big splash about it? Uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see what they do there. Yeah. And I mean, for them, the timing actually kind of works out better than for other companies because, you know, the pandemic hit just as they were coming out of their busy season and they are still able to have some plan or time to plan for that production or potentially cuts, depending on what they decide. Um, quickly, before we move on, I just want to touch on Indigo Books. Uh, it reported earnings recently like many retailers, saw a significant decline in revenues, even as e-commerce sales jumped. They were up 214%, but revenues were down 73%. Um, I thought it was interesting on the conference call, uh, the CEO, Heather Reisman, had uh, made an interesting comment in response to a question about what it's going to take for retail sales to return to normal. Um, And she said, quote, people are afraid of this virus as they should be. I don't see the consumer returning to the kind of behavior that we were used to before COVID until there's a vaccine or some kind of therapy strong enough to blunt that fear. Um, Makes sense. But in the meantime, I mean, what should Indigo, what do you think Indigo should be doing um, as as we wait for a vaccine and wait for some kind of hope, I guess? (laughs) (laughs) So I agree with her. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think the full normal will be a while away. I don't think it'll be as binary as vaccine yes or no as much as a partially efficacious vaccine plus a cure that reduces death rate uh and i think we get to a period where it's close enough and then we open up and i think that's a year away i, I you know I, I can't see it being less than that and it may be more uh, I, I think the other comment in their release was uh, about the fact that people are spending longer at their store so their traffic is down for sure but people are spending longer and we've talked about this in other retail stories about how people are uh shopping more deliberately you know they're not browsing and indigo is a fun place to browse uh and so uh, and I, overall, I've said this, you know, they've done a great job, uh, you know, to be in the book business today and uh, still be in business is an accomplishment. I think what they need to do is, and their basket size is already up, they need to find a way to get their basket size up more. So if they recognize that people are in their store uh, for longer, the few the fewer that are there are there longer and they're there for something, how can you get them to buy something else? And I'll just give a tiny example. Uh, You know how when you uh, line up to pay at Indigo, as in many stores, uh, um, drugstores, Walgreens does this, there's a very long snaking lineup uh, Mm -hmm. to get there and there are lots of impulse buys in that line. So one thing they should be thinking about, maybe they are already, is more expensive things there. Because normally it's just a little grab and it's a high margin item. But today, People are there, they're in, and they want to go for what they want, uh, and maybe they have a list of what they want, but maybe they need even more stimulus to increase that basket size because they're ready to buy a little bit more. So that's just one way, uh, but I think the focus should be the basket size is up. How can we get it even higher rather than hoping for more people to come to the store? Yeah, yeah, because as you mentioned, that is probably going to be a long ways off. Okay, Mark, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get your advice and dig into some of the issues that businesses are dealing with. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Um, okay, Mark, let's move on to the part of the show where we dig into some of the issues that business owners are facing and we get your ideas for the fix. Um, there was an interesting story that came out this week in the Global Mail about Canadian household debt shrinking as credit card spending went down and, of course, government aid obviously increased. Um, questions remain about whether this trend will continue given that the government will eventually pull back its financial aid and and that financial cushion is going to disappear eventually. Um, So looking at that consumer debt, what do you think people should be thinking about um, as we go through this pandemic, um, particularly if we're not having that financial cushion from the government? Yeah, I mean, reducing debt is generally a good thing. I mean, I think there's a lot to talk about in terms of what you can do with the cushion that you're creating and people are in different positions. And uh, Mm -hmm. just as a reminder, we've talked about the fact that, you know, maybe up to 40% of Canadians had their livelihoods impaired, which left, you know, 60 or more percent who didn't and they had their spending impaired. And so it makes sense that people had extra money and were not racking up credit card debt and credit card debt uh, is great for Canadian banks uh, who are not kind to consumers on the rates that they charge on uh, credit cards, but they're, uh, it's terrible for consumers to build up credit card debt. Um, I think the other thing that could be related to the reduction of, uh, of debt, of revolving debt, is mortgage deferrals. So again, if you maybe didn't have to go through hoops to prove to your bank that you needed a mortgage deferral and you just sort of signed up and said, I want to defer my mortgage uh, for six months. And if your mortgage was a low rate mortgage, it was the right decision, even if you had the money. And then you could take that. So even let's say you're paying 3% on your mortgage uh, and you could be paying 28% on your credit card and your and your bank saying you could defer your mortgage, then for sure, take all that money and plow it into your credit cards to remove that. So um, I think it's evidence that people, some people have extra cash and are making the right decision. I think the question uh, becomes, you know, what to do with that extra cash, uh, both personally and in your business, uh, and there are a range of decisions and they're, they're related to what state you're in, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so to be clear, I mean, this is obviously not the same situation for everyone. There are, as you mentioned, some people that are struggling a lot and then others that have been given an opportunity that you can still work from home and and save a lot. But um, on that note, I do want to talk about business owners because um, typically, especially with small businesses, they end up uh, taking on more personal debt in order to make sure that their business does stay afloat. So um, when it comes to debt and financing your business, what are the options? What should you be considering as a business owner? Well, yeah, I mean, first of all, you're right. A lot of a lot of uh, small business people have personal debt that is related to their business. I'll say both formally or structurally and informally. So by that, I mean to say the informal part is, you know, you start a business and you don't take a salary from your business because you want your business to survive. And then to fund your lifestyle, you are creating debt. Right. And by the way, I very rarely advise that to small business people. I think when you're starting a business, you should always take a salary. And the reason is that you want to be able to evaluate your business properly. 
Uh, and then when you bring in partners, you want to have an actual, uh, I'll say legitimate and fair valuation of what the company is making and what your salary is and your salary should be fair. Right. Um, so people are funding their business one way or another. I think the question is whether they're funding it in a very distinct way and a very formal way. So have they given personal guarantees to the bank? Uh, have they put their house up for their business? And I think whether or not they've done those things uh, will determine what they should do with the cash. If you're a business that is right now, unfortunately, on the brink of failing, I think you have to be very careful with how much you tie your personal finances to your business finances, because what you actually want to do, if it's not too late, is actually give yourself the option to have a healthy financial future personally, even if your business doesn't go. You want to be create. You want to be using this cushion to your future advantage. And what you want to be doing is thinking about, okay, if you're very healthy, you may actually have a lot of cash and there may be a struggling business that you want to buy. And we've talked about that in another episode, or it could be that you want to buy your own business back because it could be that you have creditors and it could be that, uh, you know, you decide, I don't, I don't want to actually pay, I mean, I'm making up a number, a million dollars that I owe all my creditors. Uh, what I, if I only have, 300 grand left, they're only going to get 30 cents on the dollar anyway. I may as well just say, listen, guys, I'm really sorry. And then I have my 300 grand and then the business goes bankrupt and you could buy some of the assets, whether it's equipment or other things, or just start fresh and, and use that money. Mm -hmm. the, the other thing you could do, uh, again, depending on your situation, again, I'm assuming that you're, you know, if you're a business that's in trouble a little bit, you may be able to go to your creditors and say, here's the story, guys. You know that I have the choice of whether to put money back into my business. And people do this with the bank all the time. Uh, you know that I have the choice of whether I'm going to put money in my business. Let's say that situation, I owe you all a million dollars and uh, you know that my business only has you know 200 grand in it. So if you force me into bankruptcy, you're all gonna get 20 cents on the dollar. Now I have another 200 grand personally. I'm willing to put it into my business, but I'm only willing to put it into my business if you guys agree to reduce my debt. Because essentially that money is for your creditors, not for your business. And so I guess what I'm saying is you can use your personal cash to put in the business, but you really want to be careful about using it to your advantage. People who have lent you money, banks, suppliers, and other, if they've done it in an unsecured way, they recognize or should recognize that the risk they take is if you don't make it, they don't have recourse on you personally. And so there are a series of decisions. Uh, but again, think about how tied your personal finances are to your business finances and how tied you want them to be. Yeah. Um, interestingly, just on the note of, of financing for small businesses, the government program that they introduced, the Canada Emergency Business Account, uh, which is essentially a $40,000 loan, part of which is forgivable. Um, according to a CFIB survey, that is one of the actually the most used program by small businesses. 60% uh, of those surveyed uh, are using that program, which is more than the wage subsidy program and significantly more than the commercial rent assistance oh. program, which I do want to quickly talk about uh, before we wrap up the show. My favorite program? Um, your favorite program. Uh, I know how you feel about it. Uh, it seems like small businesses are with you on that. Uh, rent is one of the hugest expenses for businesses. Um, we're seeing a lot of businesses uh, break their leases, go out of business. Um, what do you think for a small business who that is considering potentially moving or downsizing, trying to get out of their lease? 
What's your advice for them? Okay, I know uh, our bosses uh, would not be happy if I said, consider a midnight move. Now, for those people who don't know what a midnight move is, uh, it's when you uh, back your truck up to your place and take all your equipment out so that you could stop paying your rent uh, and your landlord doesn't know where to find you and has no recourse. This is something we are not endorsing. We are, I just, just want to throw I'm that out there right now. not endorsing it. Uh, and the reason is because it's illegal. And the other reason is that <laughs> in today's day of social media, they're going to find you anyway, whereas 30 years ago, you at least had a shot. But I think the, 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 the reason I bring that up is you have to think about, uh, can you actually leave your landlord? And can you do that without recourse? Uh, because, and it's actually tied to the other discussion on how much you've tied your business to your, your person and your, you know, uh, yourself financially, because if you've given personal guarantees on your, uh, lease and you say, okay, I'm just going to leave this lease and I'm going to sign a new one. Well, you're still on the hook for the balance of payments in that lease. And if you go bankrupt, it's one thing, uh, because you consider again, going bankrupt and then leasing a new space or leasing back the old space. If your landlord isn't too bitter. Uh, and so I would just, I mean, the main message is there are sweetheart deals out there because a lot of landlords are looking for tenants. And so, you know, if I, you know, I'm in a space here, I have three years left on my lease. Uh, our business has struggled a bit, but we're not in terrible shape. And so we're going to be fine. Uh, and so, you know, I'm not going to be looking to, uh, you know, release a very a similar space here for 30% less, but if there were six months left on my lease. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and there was no tie to my personal finances or no other guarantee, I could then say, okay, wait a second. Let me look around at other space and remember the one-time costs because cash is king and you may be getting a smaller space that is lower in rent. So you'll save money every month, but you may have to spend a bunch of money up front either to get out of your other lease through negotiated or agreed uh, one-time charges, uh, moving expenses, renovations, etc. And so all I'm saying is you've got to be careful. There's this draw of, I can get a sweetheart deal out there, but you need to remember that you have a lease and you can't just walk away. And so what you may want to do is look at the other offers out there, see how much leverage you have on your current landlord. Your best bet may be, Hey, I'm paying, you know, in our case, uh, you know, $160,000 a year in rent for this space. Uh, I see the space over there. If I were again, closer to the end of my lease, it's 120. Would I rather, move and get the 120 or actually maybe stay here and get the 120 because if i talk to my landlord and i say well listen there's six months left on my lease you know i'm going to leave because rent is cheaper i'll tell you what i'll stay for three years if you drop my rent and so mm -hmm. there's always a little room because everybody uh everybody wants to find a way look at simon and amazon they want to find a way to get i mean don't forget they're going for financing on their buildings from time to time so they want to be able to show their bankers, I have a tenant that's not going to leave me for X number of years. Yeah, so I would say, yeah. do what you can with your existing landlord. See if they'll play ball. Give them a chance. Don't bother with uh, cease, stress, test, or whatever you call it. It's useless anyway. Uh, and definitely don't do a midnight move. Although I, just, <laughs> I think it's a fun term. And I knew our boss would be mad even if I just said it. So I thought it'd be fun. You should have heard what was happening in my oh my god, over here. Kirsty yeah, had oh thoughts or managing editor had thoughts. It. <laughs> um, okay, Mark, that is all the time that we have for today's show. Um, if you want to rewatch this episode again or get the latest news on the economic impact of the coronavirus pandemic, please check out Yahoo Finance Canada's website. And if you have any questions for Mark or feedback about the show, you can shoot me an email. I'm at alicja at yahoofinance.com. Thanks for tuning in.